Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 24th, 2017, and this is episode 2010 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a good one for you, man. i got Nicole Sauce. Nicole Sauce hanging on the line. She's about to come on and talk with us about building a niche business in your local market. How niche? How about a uh, low-income area of rural Tennessee, and she's selling premium coffee for $16 a pound. Yeah, really. And she's doing a good job of it, so much so that she's had to grow her business to keep up with demand. Now, I think you guys are going to learn a lot from this interview because that would be the kind of thing that if somebody said to you, well, here's my idea. This is my idea. I'm going to make and roast my own coffee. Okay, I'm with you right there. And, and I'm going to sell it for a lot of money. Well, like how much? Eight bucks, nine bucks a pound? No, like $16 a pound. Okay, so where are you? Like in Seattle or Portland or somewhere where coffee snobs live? Now, I live in rural Tennessee in the mountains with a bunch of homesteaders around me. Uh, okay, that's what you would kind of off-the-cuff think. But you're going to hear today how the problem is often the solution and how this has worked out really well for Nicole. But it's taken a lot of work and hustle and dedication And it's not just throwing some beans in a pan and turning them black and sticking them in a bag. There's a lot that goes into what she does. And telling her story is how she gets people on board with the price. And then once they try the product, they tend to stick around. This is Spoil Yourself Coffee. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're a small entrepreneur, this is the kind of business you want to be in, something boutique, unique, and niche. And there's a lot to be learned from what Nicole is doing successfully. We'll hear all about it in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, business owners, would you like the ability to reach more than 100,000 TSP community members for as little as $5 a year? If so, consider advertising your business in the TSP Business Directory. A listing in our directory shows your support of the community and a commitment to value-for-value value exchange with other members. To find something or to be found, just check out the directory at tspbiz.com. That's tspbiz.com to learn more. Hey folks, if silver and gold are not part of your current economic preparedness plan, they should be. In fact, for over eight years, I have recommended that listeners keep 5-10% of their wealth in precious metals as a wealth assurance program. And JM Bullion is my personal choice for all my precious metal purchases. They offer some of the best pricing in the industry and free shipping on top of it. Check out jambullion.com to learn more. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 2010 because the episode is 2010. I have um, two from South Pop, or two from Alex Shrug today. They are the road to the deep water oil drill. The road to deep water oil drilling is paved with good intention. And I have Missile Launch, Missile Launch. I also have a note from Southpaw Ben that says he's sorry for not contributing today, but his goslings arrived a week earlier than he had in his head. Man, I understand that. Uh, let's take a look at notable deaths this year. Notable deaths year 2010, Leslie Nielsen, age 84, of pneumonia. Uh, Robert Byrd, age 92, of natural causes. Senator and former KKK recruiter. Uh, Howard Zinn, American historian, and uh, at age 87, of a heart attack. The Sheeran film Toy Story 3 introduces the cowgirl character Jessie. 
Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Weird, but I liked it, says Alex Shrugged. <clears throat> and the animated Shrek Forever After, Tangled, Despicable Me, and How to Train Your Dragon. This year in TV, Disney Channel's Dual Survival. Cody Dean and Dave Canterbury use their different survival philosophies in various environments. I stopped watching it after Canterbury left the show, says Alex Shrugged. I did too. I, I know Dave made some mistakes, but I, Dave today is still a personal friend and a damn good man. Bravo's The Real Housewives of D.C. Michelle and Tequeek Shalee breached the apparent lack of White House security to attend a state dinner. Thus begins a long series of Secret Service screw-ups. Uh, I don't really know anything about those people. I don't watch reality TV. Uh, AMC's The Walking Dead, The Zombies. And uh, TLC's Sister Wives begins this year. This year at Music... Needs You Now by Lady Annabellum, the band. It's a quarter after one. I'm all alone, and I need you now. My wife likes that song. Uh, I'm in a bad romance from Lady Gaga. Um, Bobby, Bound, Bobby Brown severely beats his only girl in the world, Rihanna. She cancels her appearance at the first 51st Annual Grammy Awards, and she actually goes back to him. Yeah. Uh, the Hope for Haiti Now Telethon raises $61 million for earthquake relief. How much of it actually made it to Haiti is a different question. Uh, probably none. I know that most of the money that went to the Red Cross, the, the, the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, didn't get there. It just vanished like a fart in the wind right out of the jet tail, the, the jets of the uh, CEO's uh, private jet, I guess. Anyway, in uh, this year in video games, Halo Reach, The God of War 3, The Humble Bundle is a pay-what-you-want pay video game from Wolffire. They make millions simply offering value for value. Microsoft Connect can see your gestures and hear your commands. What could go wrong with that? In other news, the job market hits bottom. 129,655,000 employees are on the payroll. This is down over 8 million from three years ago. President Barack Obama signs the Democrat... Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act in the law. Not a single Republican voted for it. That's Obamacare. Greece credit rating, Greece, Greece's credit rating is downgraded to junk status four days after the EU bailout. Within 36 minutes, the Dow Jones plummets 998.5 points. This is attributed to a feedback loop in computer trading programs. In other words, you set a condition to sell a stock if it reaches a certain price, but selling usually pushes the stock price even lower. This triggers further computer selling and so forth, says Alex Shrugged. A fizzling car bomb is found in Times Square in New York City. The Islamic terrorist is a nationalized citizen who is reacting to President Obama's expanded drone attacks in Pakistan. He was a little more upset about that than the American media was because, again, all the anti-war stuff just stopped as soon as Obama was elected because I guess it's okay when Democrats drop bombs. Uh, an environmentalist terrorist takes hostages at the Discovery Channel. He's eventually shot. WikiLeaks publishes, publishes classified material including 90,000 internal reports on U.S. involvement in the war in Afghanistan, a transgender serviceman slash woman will be arrested for the leak. That would be Bradley Manning. I'm not changing Bradley Manning's name, and I'm not referring to Bradley Manning as a woman. I'm sorry. Bradley Manning can do whatever he, she wants with him herself, but you're a dude, dude. Sorry. It's the way it is. Um, and the last U.S. combat troops leave Iraq. President Obama steps up the good war in Afghanistan. I will remind you that when President Bush was still president and everybody thought Barack Obama was going to be the anti-war president, I said, and I quote, 
you don't understand. The war in Iraq will officially come to an end because George Bush has already set the timeline. And we'll continue to ramp things up in Afghanistan because Barack Obama thinks bombing Afghanistan is a good idea. Uh, turned out I was right. Covered most of this stuff as it was going on, didn't we? Let's take a look at missile launch, missile launch from Alex Shrugged. Missile launch, missile launch. Well, maybe not. Southern Californians are used to seeing strange contrails in the sky. Vandenberg Air Force Base has been a spaceport where they launch rockets regularly. Occasionally, these launches go bad and make some spectacularly beautiful contrails in the evening sky. However, this evening, the contrail is moving in the wrong direction. It appears to have launched from somewhere off the coast. One wonders if a missile submarine is missing one of its nuclear bombs. A local traffic helicopter captures video of the event. Whatever it is, it's clearly moving and soon disappears. Did we just dodge a bullet or was it an optical illusion? My take by Alex Shrugg. Speculation abounds. Remember that the world was in the midst of an economic meltdown due to the subprime mortgage crisis at this time. There was a currency war between the United States and China, and still is. So some speculate China launched a missile in order to intimidate the United States, but the missile hypothesis has flaws. For one thing, where did the missile land? It was going in the wrong direction for an orbital launch. Even if you blow up one of these things, this isn't the movies. The debris keeps going and eventually hits something. Others say that it was a contrail from an airplane. After all, it was moving too slowly to be a rocket. And from the way the contrail spread from the bottom, it gave the impression of a launch when, in fact, it could have been coming over the horizon. The spreading contrail could have been further away than the video might suggest. No radar detection was reported. The Defense Department, the source of all truth and knowledge, says it was a plane. Which plane? No one is saying. Occam's Razor says it was an airplane, because when messages as dangerous as a missile launch from a foreign nation are delivered, it should be made clear what the message means. Otherwise, mistakes are made. Big mistakes, you know what I mean? Um, I personally think it was a plane, and I, I think there's, there's two possible things. It was a plane. It was an everyday old plane. And the contrail looked funky because of the angle of the photography and the weather conditions spread it in a certain way that made it look like that. That's one. And the other thing is it could have been a plane that was an experimental aircraft that did something that was unexpected, and hence we have not identified the plane. And I think that's, that's pretty likely. Um, I know for a fact our military flies experimental aircraft, and it's not always you know, at Area 51. There's a plane, I uh, actually haven't seen it fly for about eight months now, uh, but it comes out of the Lockheed area here, and that's not super uber top secret or anything, um, and we call it the space plane, because it moves at speed that just doesn't make sense, and it flies to altitudes that doesn't make sense for all the aircraft that are there, and it usually flies straight up, and it's extremely loud. And I'm talking, you guys know if you've heard some of my videos and stuff, I get straight by, strafed by F-16s all the time. I, I don't know what their, what their ceiling limit is over my place, but it's pretty damn low. And I'll tell you what, over the Lowe's department store I go to, I think those cats are 600 feet, if that, above Lowe's when they come over there, man. It's loud. This thing, when you can barely make it out, you can barely see it, like it is a dot, it sounds like it's on top of the house. It sounds like a rocket. But it's not a rocket. It's a plane. What kind of plane? I don't know. Am I telling you something I'm not supposed to? I don't think so, since they fly it around in public airspace during the day. And, and my point is, some of the experimental aircraft, that they're not exactly 
you know, telling you what it is or that it's going on, they're not always hidden. And I think there's a potential that that might have been what it would have been. But it also could have been somebody's Aunt Edna on a 737 headed to Atlanta, and it just was freaky the way it looked. I, I think of all the conspiracy theories you could dig into, that one is about the shallowest. That, that, But I do remember it. And I remember days and days of the video of, look at this, because we have nothing else to talk about right now except the fact you lost your job, and that makes you pissed off at our president, so we don't want to show that to you, right? Yeah, I remember that. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you enjoy this show and you want to support us and make sure that we're able to continue to always bring this show to you uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and cover these great topics, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. To do that, just go to the survivalpodcast.com. And click on Members to learn more. You'll get discounts to a lot of really great companies. You'll be helping to support our show with a product that will pay for itself. Many of our members tell us that their membership pays for itself three or four times over every year. And if you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, you do qualify for a discount, just email me at jack at com with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get back to you with a discount code. Everybody else, just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more and sign up. And with that out of the way, I want to say, hey, Nicole, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jack. Hey, glad to have you on. We had a great time with you at the last event. You, uh, you shared your uh, your gift for roasting coffee uh, with everybody, and that was great. And we'll be talking about that more from the business perspective today. Before we do that, though, let's get the audience kind of introduced to the awesome Nicole Sauce, right? So, you know, tell, take us kind of like, how did you end up where you where you are in life today? You're kind of homesteading and running your side hustles there uh, on your homestead. But uh, take us back to like high school and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and how does your path get to where you're at? Oh, so you want to hear about goth Nicole Sauce I guess. Oh, okay. wow. That I would well, not have pegged. No. Uh, <laughs> so I've been homesteading for about 10 years, and I've always been interested in how things work. And even in high school, when I was a punk goth lady, um, I, I thought, I had this thought. I thought, you know, I like spaghetti sauce. And if the world ends, how am I going to have spaghetti sauce? I better learn how that works. And that started a, a lifelong adventure of trying things like making paper and roasting coffee at the end of the day. I did start out after high school as a school teacher. I was a German teacher, and that environment was so horrid that I quickly moved out of it and into executive coaching. Um, Here's what I want to know. Why are there, why is there, like, I get teachers, like, mad at me all the time for what I say, but there's not a single former teacher that ever gets mad at me for what I have to say about the education system. I, I could never get mad at you for that, uh, partially because I've been working in the school choice movement for about 12 years. Gotcha. So trying. <laughs> so, yeah, well, teaching adults who want to be there is uh, a much easier thing than teaching students who don't. But you also don't have these weird requirements of, uh, you know, extra cultural training and, that the PC movement in the 90s was at its heyday for that iteration of it. It was just there was a lot of extra things that had nothing to do with learning, learning German that I had to do. And, um, you know, some of them were, were cultural training. OK, well, I'm teaching a foreign language. I'm already doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I could I could just see you and political correctness not getting along well with each other. I no, just, although yeah. I was a socialist at that time. So. Uh... I, I I was part of the Borg community. 
Nothing like a little capitalism to cure socialism. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was living in Portland, Oregon that cured me of that. So when I went out into the executive training world, I ended up at a dot-com that did not dot-bomb during that first dot-bomb in the 90s. And just watching all these startups trying to get going, and I was at one of them, while the city was raising taxes to expand transit and doing all these Portland things made me realize that socialism is not fair. And I say that to your listeners because they may have given up on some socialist in their life. But if you come at them from a fairness perspective, they can see the light. So there's hope. I, I completely agree. So how does this all get you into coffee roasting? Where's that all start? Well, it does all start with the realization that I wasn't a socialist and I happened to be working on the same floor as a libertarian think tank where I went to work. I just I quit my job and started consulting with startups, went to the libertarian think tank and developed a love of self-reliance, moved to the country. And then one day I ran out of coffee and the nearest grocery store was 12 miles away. So I had Google And I started researching, how can I store coffee for longer? It was really hard to get your hands on coffee in this part of Tennessee at that time. And I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to order some green beans and learn how to do this so that I can just shop once a month and I don't have to doink around at Walmart every week looking for stuff and started roasting coffee at home. At the same time, I launched HollerHomestead.com, which is just about our homestead. And we started offering like canning training courses and things of that nature to start helping others in our area learn what they can do on their own. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, here's the thing. I've had your coffee. It's pretty freaking awesome. Oh, uh, you charge a premium for it, which you should. But what yep. the hell ever possessed you to try to sell premium coffee in a market that I know is challenged by poverty, and, and cof- coffee is probably seen by most people around you as like a means to deliver caffeine. It's the way I look at sushi. It's a it's a conveyance system for wasabi and soy sauce, right? Right. Uh, and you got people that work really hard, don't have much money, and if they're buying you know fourteen, sixteen dollar uh, pound of coffee, that rep- probably represents more than an hour's wages for some of them. And so what what made you think you could do? I'm not really I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying what made you think you could actually build a market for something like this in a place with that type of demographic? You know, when I started out, I didn't know I could, but I knew if I didn't try, I would never know if I could. So I like to do hard things. And, you know, we we have a saying that we toss around around here that is do hard things, which means if you do a hard thing now, you don't have to do a harder thing later. And that goes for, like, working out to lose weight. You've met me in person, so you know I don't do that one very well. Um, but well I just – Huh? Well enough. Well enough, you know. But, you know, it's – we all grow in our 40s, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I just, I love to give people something they enjoy. And a great cup of coffee is a relatively inexpensive way to start your day, even if it's a premium one, even if you go back to Folgers later in the day. And so I thought, well, I'll get out into the community and just get them to try it. And, you know, of course, I was met with, you're not from here, are you? Most of the time. You you ain't from around here now, are you, girl? No, they don't say ain't. They just say you're not, which (laughs) I was surprised by. Uh, But... 
Oddly enough, I started finding coffee lovers in my community as soon as I got out and started showing them how it was. People were very interested, you know, how it's done, what a green bean looks like, let them taste it. They started using my coffee not as an everyday coffee, but as their special coffee. And I don't know if, if this is true around where you're at or not, but I mean, I've been some pretty rural towns. Places that, you know, maybe there's a decent-sized population, but the demographic's probably about the same Hot Springs, Arkansas, for instance. That yeah. is not a metropolis. There's three Starbucks that I know of, and there might be a fourth <laughs> one I didn't find when I lived there uh, in in uh, in Hot Springs. And I'm sure some of this, you know, the tourists and whatnot going in there. But, you know, I went to pick up a cup or two here and there in the off-season where there are no tourists in Hot Springs. And there was always a line. And I guess, that you know, if that person's spending three bucks for a cup of coffee, uh, spending 14, 16 bucks for a pound of coffee that has a unique story and, uh, to me, damn better than Starbucks, it, it really is not more expensive than buying coffee by the cup at a Starbucks, I guess if I'm getting at. Yeah, that's true. And they, the people in this area will spend money on things that they like, right? If they like to smoke, they'll buy cigarettes. Well, if your addiction is coffee, which is one of mine, I, I use it to calm down of all things. <laughs> um, you'll be willing to spend $16 a pound on a pound of premium roasted coffee. And, uh, you know, at the time I started, there were zero local roasters. There was, I think, one or two coffee shops in the entire area. And that's a 65-mile circle around me. So there wasn't a lot going on besides Folgers in the cafe. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that... You probably would agree with this because I know you've, you've, you're not a, a stranger to side hustles. This isn't your only one. But it's actually a lot easier to sell people what they want than what they need. And, and if you think about it, like when people yeah. decide, like, well, we got to cut back, they don't cut back on their luxuries. Everybody thinks they do, but that lasts like a week. You know, they try to find a cheaper electric provider or a cheaper phone provider or, you know, they, they take the, the recurrent necessary expenses in life. That's always where they focus first. Or they go from buying, you know, Campbell's beans to name brand beans. But the stuff that they really want, they still tend to find money for it unless they're actually complete, like, out of the job or something like that. Right, right. They'll find ways to work it into their lives, and, and coffee is no different. So how long did it take you to build up a local market? And, and, and while you're answering that, kind of tell people a little bit more about where you're at in the world and, and you know, how far is it from larger towns or what have you, and, you know, what's the place like? Well, okay, so I am in Middle Tennessee. I did make my way from Oregon, which was very a very hard place to live, to Tennessee, which is a very easy place to live as far as government involvement in my life. And... Where I am is extremely rural. So when people are complaining about that forgotten part of America that voted for Trump and don't get it, I get it. it they're <laughs> all here. They're great people. They're not stupid. They are just people who work hard for a living. And we have high unemployment. And a lot of people here survive by doing things for themselves. They figured out how to do things for themselves. There are You know, you can get a job here. I think our biggest employer is the public school system, by the way, in this county. Um, but you have people growing their own food. You have people who are very involved in church, pretty religious. We, we are in the Bible Belt here. 
And it's a, it's like going back to the 1950s in many ways. Like everybody knows everybody here. And you, you know, if you smoked pot in high school and you're 50, you're still that pot smoker from, you know. <laughs> well, maybe so, you are. Hmm? Well, maybe you are. Yeah, well, and you might be because it is the biggest cash crop in the state from what I understand, even though it's not been legalized here yet. Um, but it took me about four years to really get it up and running. I always had a few very faithful clients, and I pushed. I think I could have done it in two if I would have decided it was my primary thing. But I don't think I realized, Jack, how much I love coffee until I was standing in your garage telling people all about how you can only grow a coffee business to a certain size before you have to invest more in it and that I was not going to go over that line. And I promptly went home and decided to go over that line. So it <laughs> So part of it was me not pushing hard, but I had to tell my story every day and show people how it works to get that done and give a lot of free samples. Let's let's talk for a minute about your coffee. Let's, let's instead of we'll, we'll back off the business thing for a second. Talk about how it actually how you actually come up with your annual blend because you do a single blend every year. It's, yep. it's different every year. And yep. I think it's the most important part of your story when it comes to the product marketing because the one thing I see being really valuable in your demographic is when someone works hard to grow cucumbers and turn them into pickles, right? Or right. they grow a bunch of tomatoes and they can them into their own spaghetti sauce. They understand the inherent value of the, the, the human portion of that and how you know Aunt Millie's canned tomatoes are the best. Even if, if you're making your own, you still have a tip of the hat to Aunt Millie because she's been doing it for so dad gone long and hers are so great. So they understand kind of that 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 component that's individualized and that has value. So talk about your individualized component. How do you actually come up with a blend from you know the beginning of a year when you're 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 selecting your stuff to you to you come up with your final blend? Well, oddly enough, we are in blend-making time right now, so this is very easy to talk about. Um, when I started the Holler Roast Coffee, it was really for me first, and I'm kind of picky about coffee. So I want something that is strong and robust but not going to slap me across the face with bitterness, and I ordered in. I order in usually from about 10 to 25 sources, depending on what I find. I order in beans. And then I roast them all, and we do these taste test lineups. We'll have Mark and I do it, or I might invite a friend over from time to time. But we'll go through each, you know, four at a time and take notes. And then the ones we really like, we'll change the order and see if we still like them. We might say, well, we want some of that flavor in this other bean. And then we settle on what the holler roast is going to be, and we we basically either sell that for a year or we sell it until one of the bean sources runs out because most of our beans are sourced from small farms and they have a certain amount and that's it. So holler roast coffee is different every year. You can count on it being a dark roast and part of we are expanding so we are going to offer a medium roast for people who prefer that and some different coffees. But if you want the holler roast blend, this is something I choose once a year. There's a limited amount of it. And once it's gone, it's gone, and we have to go through a tasting cycle again. So, you know, telling that story really made people appreciate 
how picky I am about the the quality, but also, I mean, Jack, I'm in the South and I'm from Oregon. Oregon is coffee land. So I can always just tell people I'm from Oregon and I'm instantly credible. Hmm. No matter if I'd ever had a cup of coffee in Oregon or not, the Pacific Northwest you, you was where... You got coffee cachet. Right, I do. I, I, I comes into my place of origin. <laughs> um, what are three things you did to persuade people to go ahead and make a purchase of a premium coffee? Well, the first thing I did was I got out and I did live roasting demos. And that was probably the, the most work because I had to drag the roaster around and get it set up. And, it you know, it takes forever to get the, the roast right on my roaster right now. So I would do a couple bad batches and then finally get a good one. So that, that was probably the biggest thing I did. I did it at farmer's markets and different places. And then while I was doing that, I just told the story. I told it all the time. Every day, whenever I was serving coffee at my house, when I was, um, I donated to events like the, I, I sing in a choir and we have an annual fundraiser and that was one of the auction items would be coffee. So I was just trying to get the word out in sort of a viral way. And then I put a lot of thought into packaging. So it turns out a brown bag with pen writing on it does not sell coffee. No. 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 Um, okay. A black bag with a gold label, though, people really like that. And it makes it, it just it conveys <laughs> the premium nature. Yeah. <laughs> and then my $16 a pound bag didn't sell as well as the um, $5 bag I made for farmers markets, which is $5 worth of the $16 a pound coffee. So $5 at the farmer's market is the price point. So we just figured out how to package $5 worth of coffee. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of times I think people buy a smaller product. We, we've learned that with our duck eggs. We have a, a retail establishment that's a kind of a very high-end retail establishment that sells, I'll just be honest, overpriced farm-to-fork products to yuppies in downtown Fort Worth. Awesome. And uh, even with that, taking a knife and cutting an egg carton in half and selling half dozens – You know, we have yeah. just continuous repeat business from this place, and they just opened another place in, you know, Yuppie Nirvana down in Dallas. So now, you know, we take to one store, and they ship half over the other store. But that was how we were able to sell that product at a premium. They have plenty of chicken eggs there, and a lot of people come in and, you know, they'll, they'll want some duck eggs or try some duck eggs or something like that, but a dozen, it, it's not happening. I mean, we sell the store at eight bucks. I think the store's selling at like $7 a, a six-pack, so that'd be 14 a dozen. So even a yuppie's wow. like, I don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> and then you got to think about some of these yuppies that live in these you know urban areas. You know, they have small fridges, and they, you know, do a different meal every night. And, you know, so they might not just not need a dozen. But it wasn't the price per unit that was turning them off. It was the quantity. So you, you kind of did the same thing. Let's break it down to a, a unit price that will work for people, and we'll just change the volume. I mean, that's what... Frito-Lay's been doing forever. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, it's it's partially because of you that I've been sticking to my guns on that whole thing. You know, when I heard you talking about your $8 a dozen eggs, um, I didn't sell my duck eggs for $5 a dozen, and I increased my chicken egg price. So, oddly enough, it's part of that is you get your premium product and you stick to it. You, you have to, because we yeah. get all the time, like, 
Uh, you know, especially, and I'm not picking on him, just saying Asians, man. They'll find the site and they're excited because they found duck eggs because it's a big thing in their food culture. And they'll right. call and they always want to, you know, to, to, to barter. Like, how, how much? Uh, $8 a dozen. If I buy a lot, <laughs> $8 a dozen. I buy 10 $8 a dozen. $80. <laughs> yeah, $80. It's really easy to, to multiply by 10. And, and, you know, they usually go ahead and pay it, but they always want to kind of, you know, and, and we'll have people, well, what's your wholesale price? $8 a dozen. Well, what's your retail price? Well, $8, $8 a dozen. I mean, that's, we have one price and, and, you know, that works for us. And honestly, dropping it would just make it not worth doing. Right. Yeah. Little buggers take a lot of work. They're looking at me through the window right now. Um, so I'm sure you did have people push back on pricing, and when people complain about it, hey, that's awful expensive for a bag of coffee. How how'd you you get you know how'd you handle that or respond to that? I just stood up for the coffee, and I think you know when I came to your workshop, my coffee was a little less expensive, and yep. you advised me to raise the price, and I did, and I started selling more coffee immediately. So. <laughs> So thanks for that, by the way. I didn't know um, if it would work or not, but I figured it wouldn't hurt nothing. No, it didn't. And I was already at the top end of the market, but people would come in and get mad at me. They'd actually yell at me because, you know, how dare I price my coffee? At, you know, at the time it was 14 a pound. Now it's 16 a pound. And, and I just look at them and I tell them the story and I wouldn't get mad. Like the most important thing when people are pushing back on price is you're happy about it. You explain why. If they're still mean to you, they'll go away. This I, I I grow some elephant garlic too, and I sell it for five dollars for two heads. And I had a lady come in once and yell at me and said, "How dare you sell elephant garlic for that much?" And I looked at her and I said, "But this is really good." And so she grudgingly <laughs> bought one. She grudgingly bought one and came back the next day and apologized. Not the next day, but the next week. She said, I am so sorry I gave you such a hard time about that. I tasted your garlic, and it's unlike anything I've ever tasted. She bought me out for the rest of the year. Really? So, yeah. So you just I think you just stick to it, but always remember to respond. When they're angry at you, don't get angry back. I think one of the things that entrepreneurs need to learn how to do is is what I call the what do you want me to take away uh, question. So yeah. with yours, you know, well, so here's what I do. I go out and I research all these different beans every year. We buy multiple batches. We try small samples. We select the very best. Then we go through this, and, you know, a couple minutes of that. We go through this roasting process. You know, we, we, we lock that in for a year. We buy large quantities. I can certainly sell this to you for less. What part of that process would you like to me to eliminate for you? Right. You know, because we've done that with the ducks. Well, you know, we feed them, you know, sprouts and we do this and they're all free range and they're paddock shifted and, you know, every single egg is individually washed and candled and then packaged and, and, you know, we make sure that you get, you know, at least a certain size and what part of that would you like us to remove? Well, none. Okay, then that's that's how much it is, right? Exactly. That's just how much it is. And I, I, my coffee is now on some local stores here and right next to coffee that's less and it's still selling. So. You know, I think that that it would because there is there's okay. So the, the type of product you're selling is a spoil yourself product, right. right? So now you go to a store and you're going to spoil yourself with something. You always at least consider the most expensive option because there's a reason that it's expensive. Now it's not always the best product, but it might be. So people right. always at least consider that because again, this is not something you're going to dump in, you know, your 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 Mister Coffee and leave bake all day, uh, you know, and, and throw half of the pot out at four o'clock in the afternoon. This is something you're going to spoil yourself with, right? And it does well, really well in a French press, by the way. 
Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should leave some more there next time. I'm in the I know I have to go easy because I've you know I, I'm the guy that's cut way back on my coffee because I was drinking like three and a half pots of coffee a day and that's just not good for anybody. That's a little too much. Yes. Yeah, with my emotional roller coaster life in the first place, that's bad news. So I backed off a lot, but it is damn good coffee. And that's see, that's where I'm at now. Like, so if I'm gonna have coffee. I'm going to have damn good coffee because I'm going to have a cup maybe next week and then, you know, maybe maybe two cups that day, and I'm not going to have any for a while. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenge in, in launching this sort of hyper-local premium product for people? Well, Jack, I think building trust in the market is a really big challenge at first, especially in my situation where I was a damn Yankee in the South – talking about coffee, right? I had, there was a lot of mistrust until people tried it. And really to get over that, what I had to do was get out in the community and be involved. So I'm on several local boards now of nonprofits and I do a lot of volunteer work, but that has helped me build social capital with my community so that when I'm talking about my premium coffee in the process, they believe that I really do what I say I'm going to do. Um, I think also when you're dependent on a local economy, and our economy is pretty rocky here in Middle Tennessee, um, you have to take into consideration the size of your market. I, I believe the biggest potential for my coffee, even staying at the micro-roasting level, is mail order. And having that diversity of source, like I have the local clients and then clients all over the country, that that will help me personally keep the whole thing at a high quality level and stable so that we can keep giving people great coffee from the Holler Homestead. And then I think getting the word out was really hard here because I, I couldn't just go to Facebook and say, hey, guys, I'm roasting coffee. Okay, that got five people. When I started Holler Roast Coffee, most people weren't online in my area or the, the ones who were were either too young to be buying it or – They were on once a day for two minutes. They couldn't quite figure out how this Facebook thing worked, threw their hands up in the air and walked away. So we, um, Mark and I, have been steadily building some more resilience into our own budget through local side hustles that are becoming our main hustles. And we, we paired this with a local newspaper that we do called the Center Hill Sun, that talks about recreation in the area and all the cool rural living things that you can do in Middle Tennessee. Um, and when I paired that with the coffee, we saw an increased interest. You know, obviously the paper is the paper and the coffee is the coffee, but they know who we are and they know we're doing both and that those things feed each other. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and how do you feel all of this fits in with general self-reliance that we teach here all the time? Well, I think first and foremost, if you're in an emergency situation and, you know, you're out of, you suddenly don't have a link to the outside world, um, wouldn't you just want a great cup of coffee anyway or a shot of scotch? Uh, so having a skill like roasting coffee in a situation like that means that we can keep some luxury in our life in what could turn out to be a non-luxurious uh, situation, right? And... Uh, I also, I, partially from listening to your podcast, partially because I'm a strategic planner, uh, we have a family strategic plan put together where we have three priorities and we measure everything against those. 
And one is our health. One is making time for recreation because I like to be a workaholic. And then one is developing local income. And so the Holler Roast product line is what's allowing us to stay on the homestead and have, you know, grow our own food to the best of our ability and build our own stability so that we're not at the the beck and call of a job and getting fired unexpectedly or any of those things that you know you can have have happen i think i think the coffee business paired with the newspaper and also my podcast work really well together to to help us become self-reliant so that we can help others in our community learn how to do the same thing it's um it's funny because i i probably didn't share this with you when i was there but in january my job went away and I had seen that coming for a couple years, and partially because of you, I had food stored. I had thought about ways I could turn side hustles into a revenue stream, and I knew on the day that that happened, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I knew on the day that that happened, I could just put more energy into these businesses and make it through, and we're making it through. So... It's it's kind of a cool thing that we were doing it for so long so that when that thing happened that I knew was going to happen, um, we had that to fall back on. Well, I think you had a plan, too. I think that's important. Like, it wasn't just that you, you fell back to it, but you knew you were going to fall back to it. And uh, some people will do it the way you did it and, and very entrepreneurial. Uh, yeah. And some will maybe have a different way of getting through it. But I think having, like... If this, then that in your mind, I right. think is a big part of coming out of the gate instead of sitting there depressed and letting life start to roll all over you. But yeah, and when you see something like that coming, I think most people do. You, you, uh, you can do one of two things. You can look it in the, in the eyes and say, okay, I see you coming and you're big and scary. I'm going to run away and hide. Or you can figure out, okay, well, I know that's coming. Let's make the most of it while we have it and then be ready for what's next. Because there's always a, I think there's always a transition. I can't think of a time in my life where my job was not iterating or the world was not iterating. Very cool. So you decided that you are going to take another step forward with this and invest in a larger roaster because it, you you just to go bigger you have to and you're you're running a kickstarter now uh, on that you want to tell folks about that yep so holler roast coffee has been selling at capacity for a while and i with the help of somebody i met at your workshop found a roaster that was a little bit less than the ones i'd found that can in one hour roast what I'm roasting in a day. So this is super exciting. And we've already ordered the roaster and done, we had to do a ton of research on licensing, Jack. I hate licensing. <sighs> but now I know what I have to do to transition from being a cottage food industry for when we get over the revenue line that makes us required to be inspected by the county health inspector. And so we launched a Kickstarter to offset some of that expense. The total expansion expense is going to be about ten grand, and we're doing a Kickstarter that pre-sells pounds of Holler Roast coffee at a very low price, actually. It's the best price you will ever see Holler Roast. It's going for 12 bucks a pound on the Kickstarter to help us raise some revenue to offset the, the roaster. And our target is 1500 bucks. So it's not to cover the whole thing. It's just to get... 
a little bit more in for like, we have to buy drywall and sinks and all sorts of fun stuff as part of this. Um, the roaster's arriving today. Okay. I didn't think it would be here till June and they got it done faster. And so, you know, if there's loud barking, that's because it finally arrived. And I'm like <laughs> beside myself excited to see this roaster. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, holler roast is going, going big time, Jack. Well, your, your Kickstarter just grew by 146 bucks. Awesome. So that's, that's I guess I'll be mailing you some coffee soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can get out there and, and help support you. And I think, folks, this is a, a great opportunity to kind of support someone in our community and, and get a hell of a product for it. Uh, you guys know me, though. I've backed off on the coffee because I was, well, an <laughs> addict. Um, I'm a pretty big connoisseur of coffee, and Nicole's coffee is freaking awesome. And, and I don't I don't say that about stuff unless I mean it. Um, so I'd really appreciate it, folks out there, if you'd consider, you know, picking up a pound or three or five or, like I did, ten pounds of it. And that'll, that'll set me good for a while. Um, I'll probably actually give some away. And I think that's a good thing that people can do, too. Uh, if, you, if you're thinking, you know, I'd like to support what she's doing, but I don't need that much, but I'm willing to pay more. You know, if you buy five pounds, you just want to give four away. That's four people exposed to what Nicole's doing. And, and that's a good thing, too. And, and that, that can go a long way to helping an entrepreneur kind of get a good start. So uh, hopefully people will do that for you. Well, and thanks for supporting the Kickstarter. I really appreciate it. Actually, at the 10-pound level, we are about to add an extra benefit that uh, Mama Sauce will knit a washcloth that has an imprint of a coffee cup. But what you don't know yet, Jack, is she can also do one with Val. So oh, okay. she's, she's mailing you a Val washcloth right now because right. she figured out how to do it. So you know, we'll let people choose. Do they want Val or a coffee cup? Cool. Very cool. Um, and then you have a website for all this as, as well, right? Yeah, I have two websites. I do a podcast on homesteading and self-reliance, which is not as good as yours, but it's pretty good. Oh, and it's that's, damn good. Oh, thanks. Um, livingfreeintennessee.com. It's and you just, know me, I, if I thought it sucked, I'd tell you. I know. Well, I love I love how, like, the day after I became aware you listened to it once, you, you gave the recommendation of that, like, condenser filter that keeps you from having ebbs and flows on a pod, podcast. And I was like, I wonder if he heard that in mind. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll go do what Jack says. Um, and then I also have the coffee is run through hollerhomestead.com. You can go there to get coffee, uh, but livingfreeintennessee.com, of course, also has a link where you can purchase the coffee because you might as well have your shopping cart deployed in as many places as possible, right? Absolutely. I mean, don't hate money. I mean, we've heard that before, but I think right now the smart thing to do would be go ahead and go get it through your Kickstarter because yeah. you're going to save some money if you do that. You are, and um, we'll send it out with some extra cards so you can uh, share with friends. We have postcards that ship out with the coffee. Very, very cool. Uh, and we have another big announcement, don't we? We've been holding off on this one. You and I have been talking, and we've decided the expert council uh, could use more female energy. And uh, I can't think of a better person to do that than you. Erica won't be the lone, the lone gal on the council anymore. <laughs> Uh, can you kind of tell people about the types of questions you can help with? Because we're, we're not bringing you on as the coffee expert, though I'm sure you can answer questions on coffee, but we're, we're kind of taking a different approach with that. Yeah, so anybody who wants to start a coffee business, of course, can ask me about that. But I have spent most of my life helping startups get up and running, 
and recently been helping homesteading startups. So I'll take your questions on just homesteading startup business sorts of things. I also have a long 12-year history working in the public policy arena. So not that I love government and politics, but if you have state-level questions about legislation like, oh, I don't know, didn't they just pass something there where Lyft and Uber are now not to be regulated by cities or something? I don't know if that passed or not, but it was the, the, the state was talking about doing that because they were, you know, basically all the hippies in, in Austin were going crazy that they took their Uber and their, their Lyft away uh, over the fingerprint issue. And the state was kind of looking at this going like, how does this help us to outlaw this thing? So I don't know if that passed or not, but it was like, yeah, the Texas State Senate and House are actually doing things this year that don't piss me off, which is really yeah. strange. They have a proposed bill right now that right now in the state of Texas, they can raise your property values by up to 8% a year. Okay. Uh, and they're going to cut that in half, and it looks like that's going to pass. Oh, I uh, hope that gonna, passes. They're going to cut the sales tax by like a half point um, and, and some other stuff. And there's a, there's a bill also that would reduce the acreage necessary to claim a agricultural exemption to help out like, you know, urban farms like mine um, mm -hmm. so that you could get an ag exemption without, because right now it's a minimum five acres. Right. So there's like all kinds of stuff they're trying to do this year that I'm going, it's, something happened down there, man. Somebody kicked somebody in the ass or something and, and some, you know, decent things seem to be going on. And I'm with you. I think if you're going to get stuff like that done, it's a hell of a lot easier to do it at the state county yeah. level than it is at the federal level. Well, and, and that's, that's the world I've been working in for many years, a lot on um, school choice issues and health care. I have, I have been working on Obamacare since before Obamacare existed. So I can take questions on that. Um, I can also take questions on web development. I build websites for people. So it, particularly, Jack, I see a lot of people starting businesses in your network that use like Wix or these other off-the-shelf solutions yeah. that lock them into these horrid, horrid monthly fees for every you know like if you add a blog it's two bucks a month if you add a shopping cart it's it's oh my favorite one i heard somebody shopping cart if you have more than x transactions becomes more per month and i, I am very good at helping people learn how to use wordpress and get it going Excellent, so yeah that's, that's to me that's the, that's the magic answer right there you know I, i tried to find something that i could recommend for people that would be, you know, a site builder type thing. And it's all a ripoff. Yep. Um, when I did the first nine mile farm site, um, I used GoDaddy and I used their site builder. And it was okay ish. But they're like, do you want to buy this, you know, search engine package? I'm like, screw you. I don't need your search engine package. So <laughs> then I'm thinking, like, well, I need to like switch to CodeView so I can throw my title tags and stuff in. Oh, you can't do that. Nope. And like two days after I built the site and I, threw some link juice on it from TSP, it's not indexed. So I go look at it. If you don't buy their search engine package, they don't even, they put a no no index tag, oh, and you don't even get in the search engine, so you give them more money. So I'm like, well, okay, fine. So I paid their search engine fee. It was a few bucks a month. And uh, then they, went me, they, they led me through this wizard. They yeah. forced me to do my optimization the way they thought that I should, And I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 freaking years, man. Yeah. I, I, and I know you're wrong. Um, so I got 
uh, Blake to, to basically code up a, a, a template of the site that I had built in the builder and moved it on yeah. to WordPress and went on with life because it was like you're saying they were nickel and diming you for freaking everything, and yet you didn't really have control of your site. Yeah, it's awful. I'm going to put out a getting started guide soon on WordPress through Living Free in Tennessee just because I hate I hate seeing people just captivated by bad web developer arrangements. And you've got some really good web developers in your network. I know PA over it at the Zello channel and Blake and a lot of other people, they have specialized knowledge that can I mean, I'm sure if somebody went to your business directory, they would find a million web developers up there. So There's no reason to not do it. If you don't have the budget, you can do it yourself. Um, although you gave advice once about paying a designer to make it look good first, and I think that's yeah. a good piece of advice. Then you too. don't worry about that because what happens people sit around with no graphic skills for hours and days and weeks on end trying to make their site look good. It just looks like yeah. dog crap. And, and basically a, a decent designer – Uh, Nicodemus, for instance, off the forums is, is, does a lot of design yeah. work for me. Just sharp design. You know, basically with a WordPress site, they're going to make you a header and a footer and make everything fit right. And you, then you can go on with your life and you can build it out however you want because it's just that easy it's yeah. e for them to do it. And, and then that way you can focus on the content. I say while they're working on that for you. Start working on your content. Just leave the 2017 theme or whatever there and just start writing up your pages and all because it won't go away once they install the visual graphics for you. And right. then start learning about things like plugins because, damn it, if you want your site to do something, somebody somewhere already built a plugin and they'll do that. Most of the time they're free. And, you know, I look at it like, well, this plugin's 60 bucks. Okay, well, what would a coder charge you to make your site do that without that plugin? Right. You know, a couple hundred dollars, thousand dollars or more. Okay, well, watch this. You pay 60 bucks, you click this button, and then you click this one that says activate, and now your site does that stuff. And that's yeah. just like, that's, you know, good ROI right there. Yeah, it is. I, I don't mind buying the occasional plug-in if it does what I need to do for that reason. Um, I, I'm very careful about choosing plugins that are going to make me sad, though, because um, yeah. some of them will use up a bunch of speed and memory. But, yeah, WordPress is a wonderful, wonderful tool. I, I was building sites before WordPress existed, you know, back when the HTML black book was the thing you had on mm -hmm. your desk. <laughs> I used front page 2000. Oh, <laughs> I used that one time. Yeah. <laughs> and then I then I switched to Dreamweaver because front page puts all kinds of crap in your code that you don't want there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was what I cut my teeth on building my first website's front page. Yeah. You had that front page extension so that your server would let you upload stuff because it didn't do FTP. Yeah, it was. But it worked, you know. But yeah. when, when I discovered what WordPress would do, I was like, oh, this is this is it. It's done. So, so Nicole can answer all your questions on things like, you know, web development, WordPress, basic business questions, developing your local market, uh, working with uh, local government and state level government initiatives. Am I missing anything? Well, uh, you already have it covered on your expert council, but I'm pretty darn good at preserving food and oh, those no, sort of homesteading crafts. That, that's great because I like to get different opinions on the same question. I got one coming up. Um, Probably this week if Doc Bones gets off his butt, it's uh, <laughs> Gary and Gary Collins and Doc Bones answering the same question from different oh, that's perspectives. Fun. So I think it's on macular degeneration. It's not really what we're talking about, but it's it's cool to do that. I mean, and then I mean when it comes to preserving stuff, like 
the basic way you preserve something with pickling is the same way as you do it with, you know, or if you do, you know, fermentation yeah. or whatever. But it's the recipe, right? It's the stuff right. that goes in it that makes it unique. So you can never have too much of that. So we'll make sure you uh, get questions on those too. And, uh, yeah. man, I, I appreciate you being with us here today. Well, I'm really uh, honored that you welcomed me to your show, Jack, and uh, you have changed my life. I wanted to thank you for that. It's I know you've changed so many lives, but just what you do fosters the kind of community that we need to have in this country, which is people who help each other, but they also know that achieving is within your control, like your personal control. So I love how you empower people around you. Well, I'll just say that unless you do something with it, nothing happens. So, I mean, it's, it, in the end, it's all you, and uh, you've done a hell of a job. Thanks, Jack. So, great interview. I think Nicole's just awesome, and uh, I'm really excited about having her uh, on the Expert Council. Uh, I'd like to get a question to her right away so we can get her, probably not this week's Expert Council show, but next week's Expert Council show. You guys remember how to send in stuff for the Expert Council, right? TSPC Expert in the subject line, tell me who the question is for, and then give me your question. When you do that, ask your question in one or two sentences max. Hit the return key a couple times and give me your details. That'll help me and the expert council member do a better job of knowing what you're actually asking. It'll help you. Sometimes I think you guys need it a little bit knowing exactly what you're asking, too. A, a properly asked question generally gets a better answer than a poorly asked one. And I'd really like, I'd, I'd love to get some stuff in for Nicole, so send, send the questions on in. Next up, if you like the show and the work that we're doing, one of the ways that you can support us is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. You go to tspaz.com and you can click over to Amazon, see the deals of the day. And you can also click on a link to see the item of the day that we've reviewed. Today I have one for you that I've actually reviewed in the past. And the reason I brought it back is I'm doing a lot of talk about cooking lately. And you guys know that's a passion for me. I love to cook. And uh, I actually just used it recently, and we made some fantastic wings with it. Uh, this is the King Cooker, and it's spelled K-I-N-G-K-O-O-K-E-R, 12-sot leg and wing grill rack. And what this thing does, it lets you suspend either legs or chicken wings so that they actually cook from the air around them rather than from surface contact with a grill or an oven pan or something like that. This lets you get really beautiful, even cooking and crispy skin. Let me tell you about the ones I just did and the way that I did them. So first I'm going to give you a rub. This is my use-on-anything rub. You do equal amounts of chili powder, smoked salt, garlic, cumin, paprika, onion, and black pepper. You throw those in one of your little Mr. Coffee grinders that I recommend. And you pulse it until it's nicely ground up. So that's your dry rub. And then you use my chili garlic pepper oil. There's a link in the review where you can see exactly how to make it, but it's basically peanut oil, and we're infusing that with, with heat but not cooking, and we're infusing it with Thai chili peppers, garlic, black peppercorns. And there's a procedure to do this, and you make this up, and you put it in a bottle, and you keep it for when you need it. So what you do is you get your wings, you throw them in a bowl, and you, you drizzle this chili garlic oil all over and get them a good coating. And then you lay them out, and you sprinkle them with that rub. Put them into your little uh, hanger, put them in the oven. 425 for 45 minutes. Unfreaking believable I, The first batch I ever did, like that I did for an hour, it was too long. 425 for 45 minutes. You might want to check on things with your oven. The ovens vary. And I have a convection roast setting in my oven, where it moves the air around in there, so you get more of a move of an airflow. And that 
man, that skin was... You would thought they'd come out of a deep fryer. Freaking fantastic. Here's the thing. That's why you listen to me. If you do that, you're going to create either a fire or at least a lot of smoke. How do you avoid this? So what you want to do, you get one of the big, like, disposable aluminum pans. Now, we use these things 10, 15 times or more sometimes before we throw them away. But like you put a turkey in, like the aluminum roasting pans, you put a turkey in. And you put your stand in that and fill it with about three inches of water. And that way when all your fat and grease is dripping off the chicken, it goes into the water. And that extra moisture in there helps keep your chicken moist and your skin's going to still get nice and crisp. But to do it right, you need one of these King Cooker racks. They're about 16 bucks, uh, which is, they've gone up a lot. I reviewed them last year and they were like eight bucks back then. Um, so they've kind of doubled in price, but when they were eight bucks, they were an add-on item, and you had to buy at least $25 worth of stuff to get them. Uh, so I think Amazon stopped carrying them directly, but there's a whole bunch of resellers that do fulfilled by Amazon on there. And uh, when you get over to the page, you can see all the buying options and pick the one that works best for you. 16 bucks. I think this thing pays for itself first time you make chicken with it. Again, it's got 12 slots. Most pa packages of chicken wings have 15 chicken wings. With a little creativity, you can do 15 chicken wings with one. You're going to only be able to do 12 legs because the legs you can't really finagle the way you can the wings. But I will tell you this. The one downside, you can only fit one in an oven. There's no way. We, we were like, can we make two? Nah, it doesn't work. Big grill, I guess you could do it. But in an oven, you can only do one rack at a time. Still, 15 wings, that's because you're whole wings here. That's 30 pieces, 30 wing pieces. Because uh, you tips, you throw away to the or make dog soup, I call it. I make soup for the puppies out of the wingtips. But uh, this is just a great tool. And you know what? If you don't have it, but you still want to make some awesome chicken wings, that, that formula I just gave you, my rub and that, that garlic chili oil, man, it's good any way you look at it. But boy, you just get such a perfect result when that airflow can get all around that chicken and that skin can cook evenly from everywhere. Hey, some of you DIY types, you might look at this thing and say, hell, I can build one better than that. If you think you can, give it a shot. And who knows? Maybe there's an entrepreneurial component to this for some enterprising person out there that can improve this design and beat these folks at their price of 16 bucks. If you do, let me know about it. Otherwise, this is what I recommend if you want to make the most awesome wings you can without resulting to deep frying them. With that, let's talk about our song of the day. Um, the song of the day today is called Miss America by Saving Abel. And it's, it's about the way soldiers feel and all the things pulling them in all their different directions when they're serving overseas in these combat zones. And, uh, you know, you guys know me. I'm pretty dadgone anti-war. And again, I've always said, unless you have a mental illness, you should be anti-war. I mean, if you're not anti-war, then you're pro-war. I mean, really let that sink in. But it doesn't mean that I don't respect and appreciate the men that are sent over there many times not really wanting to go. And a lot of them are okay with going, but by the time they come back, they've changed their mind. A lot of them still believe in what they did. I think it all depends on what you see and what angle you see it from. But all of them, it tears them apart. All of them, it tears them apart. And as they age, sometimes it tears them apart even more. And I'll remind you that on an average day, 20 to 22 veterans in this country take their own life. 20 to 22 a day. I think you can hear some of the why about that in this song. And I'd like to urge those of you in the liberty community, especially the voluntarist, anarchist types, who have very negative things to say about anybody that puts on a uniform and serves or ever has, 
to reevaluate your consideration of your fellow man. If you're for peace, you should be for peace with all. And some of these men do very brave things. Sometimes those things are mistakes, but they're still brave, and they're still done with personal honor. And I would just challenge you to think about all the things that you would go back and change about your life if you could before you judge another man who many times the boots he wears, you're not you're probably not worthy to shine, some of you guys. There's a guy from the Libertarian Party that just came out recently and he said all of these men are just killers and murderers. That is not the way to think about your fellow man who believes in what he believes enough to risk his own life. That's not why men serve. Think about that while you listen to today's song. Hat tip again to John Adam for another great pick. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's been long I'm still here fighting Be proud of your son My friends are dying And I just want to come home The stars are under A different sky